Welcome to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. I am Michael Kingswood, retired naval officer, Christian, dad, and writer extraordinaire. I mostly focus on science fiction and fantasy, but I've been known to write just about everything under the sun, including the occasional romance. The purpose of this podcast is to share my stories with you, the reading slash listening public. So sit back and relax, because I'm going to tell you the story. Hey friends, Michael Kingswood, it's story time, and I'm running behind on everything this weekend, uh, so I'm not going to screw around with a lot of talk, just go straight into the next two chapters of Outdweller, and um, I'm not really going to do anything on the back end, just because i got to get stuff done. Um, if you like the book, you know where to go, um, but do things, thanks for joining me, I'll talk to you uh, next time. Enjoy these two chapters. 28. The Lair of the Beast At first glance, the camp, or base, or whatever, was nothing to look at. A lean-to lay propped up against a little spur of sheetrock that rose from the side of the hill. Really the side of the mountain, as close as they must have been to the true peaks of the Saddleback Ranch now. All twining branches with loose piles of fallen pine needles thrown atop it. It would barely keep a stiff breeze off its inhabitant, let alone a good rainfall or snowfall. Not far from the lean-to, a bonfire burned. The same fire Julian saw from the hilltop an hour ago, though it was even larger than he would have thought from so far away. The fire's creator had thought ahead, though. A circle of large rocks, almost knee-high, surrounded the fire, preventing it from growing beyond its intended girth. Aside from that, there was not much else to the site. Just a makeshift wooden rack, from which dangled a couple small game animals, and a similarly rough stool that rested halfway between the fire and the lean-to but first glances were deceiving. All the more so in this sight. Off to the right, from Julian's perspective, and easy to miss in the immediate glare of the bonfire, the sloping ground leveled out into a flat area about the size of the front half of the Orlok's taproom. A circle of candles, their flames flickering in the night breeze, ringed the area. And moving around the circle, more like dancing around it, was, Julian presumed, the fugitive mage. Julian and his companions crouched in a copse of trees, one of the final easternmost outgrowths of the Glamourwood, he presumed, about a hundred feet to the left and downhill from the camp. Summoning area. Whatever Lauren wanted to call it. From that distance, it was easy to miss the comparatively dim glow of the candles, and it took Julian two tries to see the circle and its attendant after Lauren pointed it out. Julian pursed his lips as he studied the site. It was remarkably unfortified. They would be able to simply march straight up there and nothing would stop them. Except... Where is the outdweller? Radric asked from his position off to Julian's right. Lorin crouched between them. He shrugged, but it was difficult to see his facial expression in the dim light. They had doused his floating sphere of light once they came within half a mile of the camp. His voice was level, apparently unconcerned, as he replied. I can still feel the power of its summoning. It is out there, somewhere. Melanie sniffed softly. Julian glanced to his left, toward her, and smirked in agreement, though he was all but certain she could not see it. Radric breathed a soft curse. It won't let us just walk up there and disrupt the spell. He paused for a moment, then added, Will it? Again, Lauren shrugged. We dealt it no small amount of injury. It may prefer to retreat home, where it can heal easily, then deal with us later. 
The way he said, deal with us, sent a shiver, no, two shivers, down Julian's spine. Bad enough they might die tonight, but even if they lived, if the Outdweller escaped to its own plane, it would certainly seek vengeance against them. And it had the patience of an eternal lifespan to wait to achieve it. Wonderful. Even if they won, there was a greater than zero chance they would, in fact, lose. What's the plan? Julian asked. There was a long second or two of silence before Lauren replied. If at all possible, I need to bring the fugitive back with me alive. So what, we just walk up there and extend him an invitation? Julian could not have concealed his incredulity with that plan if he had wanted to. Lauren turned his head toward Julian, and he... nodded. That is it exactly, Constable, he said. And then Lauren stood up from his crouch and set off boldly and directly toward the campsite. Oh, hell, Julian muttered to himself. Julian thought sure the outdweller would pounce on them as they crossed the distance between their rally point and the cops and the campsite. But for whatever reason, it did not. It was almost as though they were taking a nighttime stroll through pristine country so easily did they reach the limit of the bonfire's light. Julian thought to stop at the edge of that circle, to check the lay of the land before proceeding onward. But, as always, Lauren had other ideas. He strode forward with that same bold, confident gait he always seemed to use, passing into the bonfire circle of illumination, apparently without care, and veering directly toward the lit candle circle, and the fugitive mage. Tellurian! Lauren bellowed as he approached the circle. The fugitive froze in mid-step, turning eyes that glinted feral in the firelight toward Lauren as the Inquisitor approached him. Lauren's steps did not slow, though Julian saw him flex his hands on his staff as Tellurian's gaze settled on him. I am here, Lauren said, somberly. Julian followed a few steps behind Lauren, Radric and Melanie at his side, all the while wondering if perhaps coming along was not the greatest idea in the world. And then he got a better look at Tellurian. The outlaw mage, seen up close, was pathetic. His clothing consisted of little more than tattered rags that might have been finery a long, long time ago. His beard was scraggly, his light brown hair long and unkempt, with wisps sticking out every which way. He had to be younger than Lauren, but his face was covered with so much soot and grime it was impossible to tell for sure. But his eyes. They were sharp, intelligent, lucid, and wild. They darted to and fro, as though he were afraid to leave his attention in any one spot for too long. He looked haunted. Hunted. Master, he croaked out, his voice raspy as though he had been shouting for a long while, or he was desperately dehydrated. In spite of that, he sounded almost relieved. Not what Julian would have expected from a fugitive. Laura nodded, coming to a halt a half-dozen paces from Tellurian. The fugitive's eyes widened slightly, then he half-laughed, half-snarled. "'You're too late,' he said, the momentary relief leaving his voice completely. "'It is done!' Julian glanced over at Melanie, hoping she had an inkling of what he meant, but she looked as confused as Julian felt. "'What is done?' "'Nevertheless, I am here to bring you back, and you will come with me, Tellurian, whether I must force you or no.' Lauren leaned forward planting his staff on the ground firmly. We both know I can do that. Tellurian shook his head, his eyes resuming their furtive dance around the area. I cannot, he said, sounding suddenly desperate. 
Send the beast back where it came from. Now. Tellurian recoiled beneath the power of Lauren's command. It cut through the air like a whip, and for a moment the fugitive seemed stunned into stillness. Then he shook his head again and groaned. It was a sound of utmost despair, of someone who had witnessed horrors beyond belief and could not escape their memory. You don't understand. Tellurian all but whispered, though his words carried through the air plainly. I cannot control it. He lowered his head, breaking contact with Lauren's eyes. At that exact moment, the earth just past the far side of the circle of candles burst open, and blackness incarnate swept over them all. 29. Dancing in the Dark Julian should not have been surprised. He had been more than halfway expecting the Outdweller to attack them for most of the last half hour or more. But regardless, when darkness flowed out of the ripped-open earth like a rolling wave, he stood rooted to the spot in shock. And then the wave hit him, and he went reeling. All light vanished. All around, he heard his friends shouting, but they sounded a million miles away, and he could not make out what they were saying. Other sounds issued through the blackness, skittering sounds, like many-legged creatures crawling over stone, and he cringed. There were things in the darkness all around. Julian drew his sword and turned a complete circle, or at least he thought it was a complete circle, but how to tell, while listening carefully. They were everywhere. Off to his left, Lauren's voice rose in a powerful chant that ended abruptly in a vicious-sounding word that Julian did not understand, but sounded like something a judge might say to the executioner to order him to do the deed. A heartbeat later, a wave of heat swept over Julian, and he found himself driven back a couple of steps. His boot struck something momentarily, but then the thing was gone. Uh-oh. Julian slid away and cut downward with his sword toward whatever he had inadvertently kicked. The blade whistled through the air, meeting no resistance until the tip struck the ground in front of him. Nothing there. Until there was. Something struck the back of his left knee, and his leg buckled. He fell sideways. Only months and months of training, honed by the stress of more battles than he wanted to remember, stopping him from landing helpless on his side. Instead, he tucked his shoulder and rolled, casting his sword aside as he went, lest he skewer himself in the process. A moment later, Julian was back on his feet, still just as blind as before, and now feeling naked as well, without nigh on three feet of sharpened steel to put between himself and... whatever that was. He settled for a little bit less than a foot, drawing his dagger from its sheath at the small of his back. It did not offer much comfort. The skittering noise came again, from the right this time, he thought, Julian turned to face it, part of him wondering what the point was, considering the thing could just move the other way to get behind him. He forced that part of him to shut up, best he could. It mostly worked. A guttural roar, loud and full of fury, and pain, assaulted Julian's ears. Again, he stumbled a pace or two, and again his boot struck something. But this time, it did not disappear as soon as he made contact. Suddenly, Julian realized that the air behind him was hot. Very hot the kind of hot that threatened to scorch him where he stood if he did not move. The bonfire. The skittering noise sounded again, more steadily this time, in front of him and to his right. It was growing louder. The thing was drawing near. Then there was a hissing sound, almost like a man drawing a breath through a gap in teeth, and the skittering came again, more rapidly, 
then vanished. The slightest gust of air against his face warned Julian of the danger, and he managed to drop to one knee before the thing, whatever it was, could hit him square in the chest. As it was, it struck the top of his left shoulder and stuck there. He almost reeled backward, into the flames, but he managed to brace himself. His nearly shouted grunt accompanied the movement of his muscles as he leaned forward into the blow, then spun with it to the left instead of straight backwards, which undoubtedly had been the thing's plan. Julian's left hand clamped down on the thing, whatever it was, and felt only a hard carapace, like on a beetle, except so much larger it almost did not bear comparing the two. For a second he paused, wondering about the creature that seemed to be embracing him. And then the pain began. When the dark wave rushed over her and she heard the skittering sounds in the darkness, Melanie had to fight back a surge of panic. Intellectually, she knew, or thought she knew, what was happening. The Outdweller had somehow summoned a few of its minions to this plane to fight its battles for it. Its minions, at least the ones without the strength to resist its call, and it would not be a particularly strong call coming from here and having to use Tellurian's circle instead of one of its own, would be comparatively weak and easy to dispatch. Somehow, that knowledge was little comfort, there in the blackness. She could not even see the flames that she knew flickered around her hands. The dark was so absolute. It was not just the absence of light. It was a dark that devoured any hint of radiance, a vacuum that removed all hope and joy. They had brought a portion of their home into the material world with them. Another skittering noise sounded, nearer than before, and the panic that had been threatening her psyche burst forth. It filled her sending her heartbeat into a sprint so that for a few moments all she could hear was that pounding and, above it, the frantic sounds of her own breath. They were doomed here. She was doomed. It was all she could do not to fall to her knees and weep in despair. And then a voice, strong and assured, mighty, broke through the void and shattered the despair within her. She recognized the language it chanted in from Timon's earliest lessons, and for a moment she thought it was he come back to save her. The voice's timbre registered more fully, and she recognized it. Her enemy. Then a wave of heat struck her. And more than heat, light. A swift ribbon of flame washed over and past her, making her cringe backwards with the expectation that she had been badly burned. But when she looked down, her dress was intact, and her exposed skin was untouched. How? She blinked, and it suddenly registered that she could see. She looked up and saw that she stood on the edge of a circle of light, not bright by any means, but enough to see by, surrounded on all sides by blackness deeper than the darkest night. She could not tell the source of the light. It seemed to permeate the air itself within the circle. But the ring of darkness around her seemed to pulse against the light, surging inward all around as though probing for a way forward so that it could engulf her again. But it was repelled, the light prevailed, and she stood free to move and see the world around her but not alone. Across the circle from her, Lauren nodded with a certain satisfaction and glanced about. When his gaze fell on her, his lips turned upwards into something that almost, but not quite, more resembled a grin than a condescending sneer. "'I wondered whether you would be able to make it through,' he said. "'It seems you are not insignificant after all.' Melanie just stared at him, confusion stealing her retort from her. Lauren read her lack of understanding from her expression and sneered all the deeper. Or maybe not. Did your man Timon teach you nothing of this? She glanced around at the little space of light, 
it was still just her and Lauren. She tried to put on an apathetic, or at least knowing, expression as she shrugged. Mocking laughter was his only response at first. Finally, after several seconds, he brought himself under control and actually smiled at her. The outside minions do not just bring darkness. They bring the essence of their plane itself. For as long as the summoning circle stands, this area is now, for all intents and purposes, part of their world, not ours. Melanie swallowed. Hard. So, you... I brought forward a small area of our reality into their plane. His words struck her like a sledgehammer. What he was describing... That's not possible, she breathed. A rift takes... Lawrence snorted with such derision she almost melted. Did I say created a rift, woman? He looked at her incredulously and shook his head. Then he turned his back on her and raised his hands over his head, his staff held between them, parallel to the ground. He drew a deep breath and held it for a few seconds. When he let it out, he spoke again, and his tone was completely calm, completely cool and focused. I have reimposed our world onto the artificiality that these beings forced on it. There is no need for a rift. It is they who caused the disruption of our plane, not vice versa. He glanced back at her and crooked an eyebrow upwards. The outdweller will sense that imposition and take it as a challenge. Any moment now. Just then, right on cue, a guttural roar, so loud it felt as though it must overwhelm her and knock her senseless, issued forth from the surging blackness in front of Melanie and Lauren. Then the roar ended as quickly as it began. Silence reigned for a few seconds, and even the dark ring seemed to grow still around them. And then the darkness swelled upward and inward toward them. The light in their little circle seemed to dim, and for a second Melanie thought it would go out altogether. And all at once she understood why it just might. The Outdweller approached. Thanks for listening to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. For information on my books, visit michaelkingswood.com or visit my web store at ssnstorytelling.com. My books are all available through all the various e-tailers, but buying direct from me nuts me the most profit. For information on new releases and other special deals in the future, sign up for my newsletter on my website. Storytime with Michael Kingswood is copyright of Michael Kingswood. Intro and outro music is copyright Gene Paul Zogby, licensed through stockmusic.net. All rights reserved.